30 years, I served the local church as a pastor. One of the most frequently asked questions that I would receive would center around the Bible and how do you study it? One of my passions is to help people study the Bible so that they can connect with God and people in a better way. Welcome to Understanding Scripture with Dr. J Podcast. My name is Jimmy and I'm the host on your journey. In this podcast today, we're going to look at James chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. If you haven't read them yet, take hit the pause button and take time to read those verses of scripture. When I look at these verses of scripture, what comes to my mind, the central theme is the difference between trials and temptations. Now, if you'll remember from earlier podcasts, every passage in the Bible has at least four dynamics that you have to consider if you want to properly understand the Bible. You need to understand culture, the accepted values of that time period, the history, The Bible is God's revelation in a specific time and place, land or geography, which helps to shape the the, the narrative of the scripture, and the spirituality, which is probably the most difficult thing for us to to set aside, to understand that the writers and, and and the hearers of the time period had their own specific spirituality. But if you look at those four dynamics, they will help you understand the words of the Bible in the context of the Bible. So when we come to James chapter 1, verses 13 through 18, temptations and trials are two different things. Temptations come to make you fail. Trials come to strengthen you. Temptations come through your fleshly desires. And the way to get out of temptation is to learn from from them. And the way you get out of trials is through perseverance. So whenever I look at a passage of scripture, I I kind of have several sections that I kind of categorize things in. And the first one is the author's lens. In other words, I'm trying to ask, ask the question and answer the question, what did the scripture mean to the original author and audience? As you explore the information on the author, the content, the culture, the history, the land and the language of the Bible, you gain a better understanding of the intended message of God's word. If you'll remember in verses one through six of James chapter one, James began by telling his readers that they they will have trials and tests. And then in in verses seven through 12, James continues on the thought process with giving us and providing for us rules that we need to know when we face trials. In, in verses 13 through 18, James is continuing uh, this whole theme by showing the difference then between trials and temptations. So in, in these verses, you, you, would, you would discover James uses an interesting word. It's the word temptation in verse number 13. It's the same word in the Greek that is used and translated as trial in verse 2. In English, There are two different words here, trial and temptation. Temptation has a more sinister sound to it. Trial is uh, is more morally neutral. And there are those who look, some that look at James 1 and verse 13 and say, well, doesn't the scripture here have an inherent contradiction? Because in Genesis 22, 1, the Bible reads that the Lord God tempted or tested Abraham. So how can James say God does not tempt people when he tested Abraham? Well, the difference has to do with these two words, trials and tests. 
Whenever the verb for testing is used of God, it's always it always has the connotation to it as the test in which one is going to come out of it successfully. So you can look at any passage in the Bible where it says that God tested somebody, and the conclusion that is reached is that that person stood the test. The metal, their true metal of faith was proven like Abraham. But there's also an evil force, both external, the devil, and the internal, our evil desires that that pull us down in that test. God is never using the test to pull us down. He's not... He is not, God does not send the test or, or the author of the test that pulls us down into evil. Instead, God seeks to give you his help to overcome the test and to be strong. So that's why we, we're not supposed to blame God for the trial we're in. Our natural response is to, to any difficult situation that would test us is to conclude that God is the author of our temptation. And James points out from a theological perspective why that's wrong to say that when you're tempted, that you're tempted by God. I like how one author comments on this verse. He says, the word translated cannot be tempted is an adjective, meaning without temptation. And the context makes the author's intent clear that God experiences no effects from evil enticements. Any test given by God does not have with it an enticement to sin. Also, it'd probably be a good idea at times not not to blame the devil. Notice that James didn't even blame the devil. He says, the James says, the blame lies within our own evil desires. So it's not our environment. It's not our family. It's not the devil. It's not society. But this lies within our own evil desires. Your thought life in a trial can be warped and twisted. And if it becomes warped and twisted and irresponsible, it produces actions that will eventually give birth to death. That's what James says. Sin, when it is conceived, brings forth death. When a child is conceived and is brought forth, it's living. In this passage, an analogy is used that really reverses that and says that when you are at gestation time of the conception of sin, when it is delivered, that is, when, when the thought, the attitude is carried through to its conclusion, it is an action. When the thought is born and acted out, it, resort, it results in death. So here's the only biblical example that makes a case for abortion. If you have ideas that are unlike God and have attitudes that are wrong while they are attempting to gestate and conceive in you, abort them so that they are not given birth in the form of wrong actions. If they come forth into life, those sinful actions will wind up destroying us, proving uh, proving to be deadly. Temptations are not always sexual. Many times they, they're, they are a spiritual level, and they have to do with attitudes towards others in the body of Christ. But in the midst of our trial, God James says, sin's good and perfect gift. How, how is that? Well, James is not saying that, that we call everything that happens to our life good and perfect. God is not asking you to be a person who, when, when the hammer hits, you, hits your thumb, that you look up and say, thank you, Lord, for helping me miss the nail today and for the wonderful sensation that my thumb feels 
Every blow is a perfect gift from God. James in this passage is not saying to, to play that kind of mental game. What, what James is saying is that when these bombs are dropping on your life, God is also parachuting down some good and perfect gifts, and they are landing in the same field. One author comments this about, about this thought, that the background of James's thought may derive from the Jewish concept of the evil Yeshur, which at, at that points is associated with adultery. In Jewish theology of the day, every person had two inclinations, one to do evil and the other to do good. And when the former gains the upper hand, a person sins. The language seems to support the idea of someone physically dragging away a victim against their will by some desire or a lure that is used for bait to entice someone much like a lure is used to catch a fish. So James has a desire to make sure his readers understand that when you have wrong thinking, the results would end up with living in a wrong manner. And James teaches us that every gift from God is good and perfect. One author comments that the word translated as perfect is, is teleos, the same word James used in, in chapter 1, verse 4, when he speaks about letting patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect. So James is telling you and me that every gift from, comes from God. And James is writing to Jewish Christians who understood this, and they understood what was going on. And that, and, and while you know, while we are walking through this place, that we understand that we trust God by faith, and we we relinquish or we release our life to Him. And while this certainly is not an in-depth analysis of what's taking place, I do hope it challenges you to begin to look at Scripture through the lens of culture, history land, and spirituality. So after I move from that first section, I now move to the next step in my Bible study, and I call it my lens. So I'm trying to answer the question, what does the scripture say to me? That as we persevere through the trial, we see a what special and wonderful things God is allowing inside of us, sometimes externally good things as well, not just internal, but sometimes external. And as we go through the trial, we discover that God gives us what God gives us, that it will be his good and perfect gift. The good and perfect gifts will begin to dominate and make possible to get through the trial. And so God is causing his goodness and perception in, in us. He is setting you as a display of his goodness and his gift to those around you who do not know him. So when you're going through pain, I mean, all most people want to do is hurt. Sometimes the last thing you want is, is the word of the Lord to come to you at, at a level and says, look at the other side. There are times in life when you may feel absolutely pressed to the wall. God is summoning you to take another step and get on with your life and, get, and not get stuck and not become bitter. God, give me strength one more time. So in this section, I look at these verses, and, and, and in my journal or my Bible, I might write something beside them, like, like in verse 13, that God does not send temptation. Verse 14, I have written down, temptation comes from your, our own desires. Verse 15, I have written down that our desires give birth to sin. 
chapter 15, I mean, verse 15, I also have sin leads to death. Verses 16 and 17, I have that God gives good and perfect gifts. Verse 17, I have that God never changes or casts a shifting shadow. And then verse 18, that I am God's prized possession. So I go through that. And then, then I move on to a third section of my Bible study that I call the Holy Spirit lens. And I'm trying to ask the question, what, what, how can the scripture apply to my life? I, I just don't want to get information. That's not transformation. I, I want to be transformed by the, by scripture. And so when I, when I read the Bible, gain an understanding of the context and, and I hear the Holy Spirit moving in my life, then I need to know how, how can I apply it to my life? So I want to gain useful insights that will help me apply the truth of God's word to my daily life. So in my journal, I've encouraged you every podcast to, to answer these questions, the who, where, when, why, what, and how question. Who appears in the passage? Where is this passage taking place? When is this passage occurring? Why is this passage important? What is happening in this passage? And how does this passage apply to my life? and then circle down any reoccurring words or thoughts in the passage. Those are the, the basic questions that you should always a- ask and answer. But here's some other questions you might consider during this time. Describe in your own words the difference between temptations and trials. What is the, what, what do you think the difference between temptations and trials? What do you sense the Holy Spirit saying to you? Or what are the four words James uses to describe the the sequence of sin from these verses? And then how could you prevent this sequence from occurring in your life? And how are temptation and sin connected? Or maybe as you read verse 15 of James chapter 1, what thoughts come to your mind? If you read verses 17 and 18, take some time to circle the descriptive words that James uses. And what comes to your mind when you read those descriptive words? What makes these words different than James's words that he's used in previous verses? When I wrestle through and work through some of these questions and answers, the final section that, that I, uh, of my Bible study I, is what I call the upward and outward focus. And it really answers two questions. So I've studied the scripture, I've learned the context, I've listened to the Holy Spirit. It's helping me to, to affect my life and, and, and move in a deeper way. So how does the scripture that I just studied affect my relationship with God and others? That's what I'm trying to ask. Answer. How, okay, so I've read it, so it ought to make a difference in my relationship with God, and it ought to make a relationship a difference in my relationship with others. You experience God's word in action as you use it to direct your journey with him and those around you. So how can you practically demonstrate this love to others? How did these verses help you deepen your love for God? Thank you for joining me today for Understanding Scripture with Dr. J. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe. And when you subscribe, I would love for you to to rate us to like us, uh, to share it with your friends and family. And I hope you've gleaned something from our time together today. And my prayer is that God would enlighten your understanding as you begin to journey towards developing a better understanding of God's word. Mm -hmm.